I'm going to start it off here. Book of James. You ready? Here we go. James. I like the way in the old time letters or epistles, that's an old word for letter, okay? They, you know, now somebody writes you a letter, they start with your name, dear so-and-so. And you got to look at the very end to find their name. Well, in the old days, they started with their name, so you know right where it's coming from. That's a good way to do it, huh? All right, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. That means those who were scattered. Greetings. All right. Now, what I want to do is I want to lay out a little bit of it. Well, if I'm going on a trip, before I go, I like to look at a map. I do. Now, I know we've got these uh, map apps, and you can just type in your destination and your location. If you've got your locator on, I never have my locator on unless I need it on because that's how they watch you. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not. You know what I mean. But if I need it on, I have it on. If I don't, I don't. But anyway, you have your locator on, and, and it will give you directions, you know. And then the, the lady's voice, if you've got it, you can set to some other voice probably. But uh, lady's voice will come on and say, in a half a mile, take exit 17, highway such and such, right? And, uh, but you know what? I still have trouble trusting that. I want to see it first. I want to know. I want to know. And there's been several times, and, and Clarissa could say, man, she's helping in the nursery, so she's probably saying it from in there. There's been several times that I, I'm like, well, I think I know that this isn't right, and I don't listen to them, and I miss it. Or sometimes you listen to them, and, and you turn, and this is not a, any kind of road I want to be on, right? Uh, so that sometimes they don't know what they're talking about. I know better than they know that that is not the way you need to go through here. So I like to look Look at the map ahead of time and map it out. I want to know about the terrain. I don't want to get off on the wrong track, road, whatever. And so then whenever I hear the voice, I have a mental picture. I'm a man. I'm more visual. I have a mental picture of where we're at and where we're going. It's very important. You know, you may have been a guy like one guy I knew, uh, not necessarily was it me, could have been, that, you know, turned off the, the, the uh, app because one woman's voice in the car was enough telling them where to go without, you know, anyway. Uh, I wouldn't say it was me, but uh, that can happen. So this is what we want to do here as I look at James. I want to just kind of lay out the map here, and then as we go, we'll kind of see what we're doing here. One thing that I see as I look at James is his style is different from, say, like Paul. Totally different style. It helps you to know that. Um, but he's also someone who grew up very Jewish and under the law, just like Paul did. And in James's teaching, you see a lot of teachings from the law. You see especially teachings from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. In fact, you can really, and, and, and hey, we're going to have a Bible study tonight, six o'clock. So instead of just having like a regular old thing, you know, like we just kind of go through the motion, we're just going to meet in the fellowship hall and have some coffee, some tea, some things like that. And we're going we're to kind of go through this. But one of the things that I want to kind of show us tonight is how you can track uh, a, Jesus's teaching through the Sermon on the Mount and what James is teaching here. So you know he was influenced a lot by that. And also you find a lot of wisdom from like Proverbs in James. James doesn't mince words. He's very simple and concise. And then he likes to throw down a one-liner. He likes to Jesus throws it down. A one-liner of wisdom that you can remember. I really like that style. 
um, he tips us off to an overall theme in verse 4. And I don't have that up there. It's in your app if you're following along there. But if you're not, look at your Bible, for goodness sakes. <laughs> look at it. Chapter 1, verse 4. He says this, And let steadfastness, or your translation may say patience, have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now that word steadfastness, as I mentioned, is oftentimes translated patient. It's another one of those English situations where we have a hard time really coming up with a word that matches the original Greek word that he wrote. Uh, the Greek word is actually a compound word, and it literally means to abide under something. Like you're abiding under a load and you're holding up. It means to stand up, to hold up under the load. It is actually a word about strength. It, 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 it might not quite exactly always be like our modern impression of patience, because sometimes we look at patience as just kind of hanging around passively waiting for something to happen. Right? Well, it, it, it's not only about passive endurance or hanging in there. It is that. But it is also active because if you noticed, if you're looking in there real good right now, you're going to notice that this steadfastness has an effect. And that effect is to perfect and complete us in the faith. Now, those words uh, don't mean that you don't have flaws. Right? He's writing to people that had flaws. We all have them, but it's a word that indicates wholeness and maturity, right? That's why in introducing this, one of James' big themes is grow up. And you grow up, you start handling big people problems. You get busy. So get this in your heart and mind because it's about growing up, being mature, and being balanced in our Christian walk, in our faith. And that's why he says another key verse is in verse 22 of chapter 1, where he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Uh, if all you do is hear, and you just hear and you hear, you know what happens? Are you, are you, it may be already happening. I hope not. Is you just kind of become numb. There's, there's noise going on, and it's, and it's, and it's vibrating your ear, eardrums, and it's going in, or you're hearing words, and, and they just kind of land in there, and, 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 and they don't do anything with them. And um, you know you can kind of get numb to some people's voices. I mean, this is really a psychological thing. I've tried, and, and, and a physical thing. I've tried to explain this. Why um, Any of you uh, wives ever have, like, your husband, you've said something to him, said something to him, and, and, and it's like they don't hear you? Has that ever happened? Uh, it's like, uh, or, or how about this one? How about this one? Well, why didn't you tell me this was there? I told you all ago. You didn't tell me. Has that ever happened? Well, there's honest reasons for that. Um, and, and I think I figured it out, you know, with my background in science. No, actually farming. I don't know. <laughs> my background. No, I don't have a background. But just thinking it through is that I, I, I told Clarissa one time that, you know, everybody has a distinct wavelength to their voice. Even if you imitate someone's voice, they can take it and, and meter it out and, and judge the weight, and they can tell whether it's really that person or not. Everybody, did you know you're unique? Even your voice is unique. It's like the snowflakes. No voice is exactly like your voice. Well, I tried to explain that the receptors in my ear and in my brain that, that pick up that exact frequency, they're wore out. You know, they're just wore slick. So I, 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 I don't know. Does that, is that, no, you're not buying it at all, are you? You're not. Boy, the, the guys are like, hmm, I don't know if that works. And the women are like, nope, 
No, no. No, but the thing is, is we just, here's what actually happens. We just get numb. We just don't pay attention. We're hearing it, but we're not taking it in, right? We, and, and that can happen. And what happens a lot of times in the faith is we hear a lot, especially if you grew up in church, you hear a lot, hear a lot of the Word of God, and you get numb to it. It's like you get just enough to inoculate you. See, like whenever you get a vaccine and, and you get inoculated, you get enough of, of it that, that it causes an immune response so that when the real deal comes along, it doesn't affect you. That sometimes happens to us spiritually. Uh, and so here's what I'm saying. James is like all about that. It's not just the hearers, it's the doers. What is your faith producing? Is your faith working in you? So here's the thing. You ready for this? The enemy's not really all that worried about you just being here and hearing all this because here's what he knows. He knows that spiritual information not immediately put into application will always lead to inoculation. Spiritual information not immediately put into application will always lead to inoculation. You just get numb to it. So let's go on in here and look at this because I want to know, all right, if I'm going to understand this, I need to understand context. I need to understand style. I need to understand where did this come from and what about him? Who did God use? Because that's going to be a part of this, and, and I've already mentioned his style. So let's look at the person, the person, James, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm now on the first word of the verse, James. We're trying to make progress here. Who is he? He identifies himself as just James. Now, the interesting thing that when you're reading in the original Greek text, his name is Iakobos, uh, which is actually from the Hebrew, and it means Jacob. Um, James, you need to know, because there might be some translations or studies where you'll see him called Jacob. Well, James is Jacob, and Jacob is James. Did you know that? Just like Bill is William. But I don't understand all these nickname things and, and stuff. Like, why wouldn't William be Will? And why wouldn't Robert instead of Bob be Rob? I don't understand that. Or why is John Jack? I know, French, Jacques, I, but that's really not right. Um, I, who knows? This is weird how these things happen, but that's one of those things. And, and I first came across this, and I had a great history teacher growing up. Have y'all had great history teachers here in Hartville? Have okay, good, 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 good. I'm gonna get in trouble, uh, but um, but in studying history, uh, see that James is just the gene, an English derivative of Jacob. I remember when we were studying British history, the supporters of getting the Stuart King, James II of England, restored or reinstated to the thrones were called Jacobites. I never could understand why they called that because they wanted James. Well, here's what you need to know the Latin of James is Jacobus. Yeah, so that's it. So if you ever see that, that's the whole thing there. James is Jacob. Jacob is James. It's just Latin, English, how we do stuff, all right? So we're talking about James in our English way of talking, right? Um, or I guess if you're, yeah, uh, anyway, so somewhere else, yeah, they, may, they may get different names, you know, flipped around. But uh, which James? There's really four mentioned in the New Testament and a couple of them were disciples, or one of the tw or of the twelve. One was a father of one of the twelve. Uh, one of the twelve that was mentioned is James, the son of Zebedee. Remember James and John? All right. Well, it's not him. We don't believe it's him because he was actually martyred in Acts chapter twelve, verse two. 
Herod had him killed. So he probably was already passed on here. Then there's James, the son of Alphaeus, one of the twelve, also known as James the Less. Uh, but um, he's very, seen very little in the New Testament, very obscure. None of the scholars, because I always want to say, you know, am I getting this right? And, I, and, and I've got the ability to check myself with scholars and preachers and, and people of God who have studied for centuries. No one thinks it's him. Uh, just too obscure. But then there was another James. Uh, there was another James, and that was James who was a son of Joseph and Mary. Now, you may have been taught that Mary was a virgin the rest of her life. The problem is that's not what the Bible teaches. When you normally read the Bible and you understand, it talks about Jesus, that's the normal understanding, and it was uh, early part of the church that that after Jesus was born, she was a virgin until then. After that, Joseph and Mary had other children. And that, that seems to be the case. And so there was a, Joe, a James that uh, was, a, you might say, a half-brother of Jesus because they both had Mary biologically as their mother. Of course, Jesus was not conceived of mankind, but of the Holy Spirit, Right? So that's why I say half-brother, because Joseph was James's dad, but not Jesus' dad. You understand. And uh, we believe he's the one that shows up later. That this is the James that authored this letter. This is the James who shows up in Acts chapter 15 as a leader in the church at Jerusalem. And even a neat thing, if you take the Greek grammar of the book of James and compare it to the speech that he gives in Acts 15, there's just so much similarity that there really seems to be no doubt. Now, we first meet him. Are you ready to go on a little trip? All right, we're looking at this map. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse, or 6, verse 3, uh, we first really meet him. Is Jesus, you know, is there and he's doing things. And people say, like, is this not the carpenter? This is Jesus. He's doing all this stuff, you know. The hometown people around Nazareth are like, isn't this a carpenter? The son of Mary and brother. Now, Joseph may have already passed from the scene by this time. It seems that may be likely just... From context, we don't know. The son of Mary, and listen, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So we know that right there, people are looking around and saying, hey, isn't this the guy, that, isn't that guy that was a carpenter? You know, and he's a carpenter's son. He was, and he took on that trade. He was a carpenter. And you know, his brothers and sisters, we know, we know these people. He can't be doing all this incredible stuff, right? They had a hard time believing in him. Then in John chapter 7, we find John giving us some info. Jesus has been teaching and doing all this stuff. It said, so his brothers, Jesus' earthly brothers is what it's talking about, said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, like if you're really the Messiah, go show yourself to the world. And then verse 5, I've got it highlighted here. Do you see it? Because John tells us, for not even his brothers believed in him. You see that? So those who grew up in the house with Jesus, those brothers, they didn't really believe he was the Messiah. And that was kind of said sarcastic. Go show yourself to the world if this is who you really are. Why are you doing all this stuff here in secret? And they had seen some stuff, no doubt. But it says they didn't believe. Um, his earthly brothers didn't. Now, um, I don't know what age difference there was, how much older Jesus was than James, but how would it have been to grow up in the house with Jesus as your older brother? 
I mean, come on. I was always getting, you know, my older brother was always pretty, pretty straight-laced guy, you know. Um, I mean, I could hear Mary now. You know, poor James and Joseph and, and, and Simon and, and whatever the other brothers are. said, You know, they could do something. Say, Why can't you be like Jesus? Right? Huh? I mean, I mean, how would that have been? You know, like, like, um, how come you can't handle stuff like Jesus does, and and and, and all of that? So, uh, but it seems like Jesus was pretty much like a normal person, a normal kid, a normal guy, though perfect, until he entered public ministry after John's baptism. Now, you may have grown up in a church where they talked about all these weird miracles that the baby Jesus or young Jesus may have done growing up. Those aren't in the Bible, and there's no evidence. Those are probably myths and fables. In John chapter 6, verse 11, John is very emphatic when Jesus turned the water into wine at Cana of Galilee that that was the very first of the signs that he performed. So it seems like, though he was God, though he was perfect, that he just kind of was pretty low-key, like a normal person. Except when you get to thinking about it, you know, I've never seen him lose his cool and go off on somebody. I've never seen him, you know, get all mad and use bad language. I've never seen him on and on you could go. So he was pretty normal. So even his brothers, really, yeah, he's special, but the Messiah that's been prophesied thousands of years, they didn't believe it at that time. Um, But you know what? That tells me something. Are you ready? James grew up around Jesus, spent a lot of time around Jesus, personally with Jesus, and didn't really know who Jesus was for a long time. You can grow up in a Christian family where they talk about Jesus. You can grow up in a church where they talk about Jesus all your life, and that don't make you saved. That don't make you a Christian. You can be in church around Jesus' teachings and still not really know who he is. You can be listening to all this right now and still not know really who Jesus is. But what happened in James' life? Something happened and turned him around, didn't it? I mean, because now he's a leader. At some point after this, something happened. What was it? Well, here's what I know. Is that when we get to to after the crucifixion and uh, the resurrection and the ascension, that the, the disciples were gathered in the upper room in Acts 1. Remember that? And here's what we find out. Also in Acts chapter 1, in verse 14, it said, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. So this is another interesting thing. In that number, women were held in a prominent place among the disciples. And he calls out especially the mother of Jesus. We know who she is, Mary. And who? His brothers. Whoa. They're there, gathered with the disciples in the upper room, continuing together in prayer, just like Jesus told them to do, waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had told them, told them about. So, so now they're gathered there. Mary's there. The brothers are there. Something has happened. What is it that could have happened? Well, I know one thing that happened. Paul gives us a little clue about. So we're putting all these clues together as we get this sketch out here. Paul tells us about Jesus' resurrection, how one time he had appeared to over five, 500 people. Remember this? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6 says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom he said are still alive today. You can have first-hand eyewitness testimony of people who actually saw Jesus after he'd been brutally crucified and after he had been risen from the grave. They saw him, interacted with him. It says more than 500, some are, uh, most are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. 
Look at this. He even calls it out. He, he makes a point to, to emphasize, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. He, he, he points out, so, so what does that tell you? This is the same James. That there was, I would love to, I, I, I don't know, I hope we get to heaven, Lord, to show us some clips you know, some of these things that happened. Like, what did it really look like when you split the Red Sea, you know? What did this really look like? And what happened, you know, first time. First time Jesus saw Mary stayed there at the cross and watched him die. She remembered all the promises that the angel had said. It didn't all make sense, but she, she still held these things in her heart. What was that first moment like? And the Bible doesn't give us any of it. What was that first moment like when Jesus, you know he spent time with her. You know he embraced her. What about James? Evidently, the resurrected Jesus spent some time with James and the brothers. And I don't know whether it had already happened, but if it happened, I'm going to tell you, when you encounter the resurrected Jesus, it changes you. Huh? <laughs> it sure does. He encountered the resurrected Jesus, and it changed him. It seemed like all of these things that I saw Jesus do, all these things that I myself heard Jesus teach, it all clicked into, clicked into place. All that stuff mom and dad had taught me from the Old Testament scriptures lined up. You know, all that stuff I learned back in Sunday school, it all made sense now. Hadn't forgotten it. Don't give up. That's why it's so important for our kids to be learning and to be getting scripture and memorizing and be in Sunday school and be in Bible class. Even if they stray, even if they don't get it at first, there'll come a time that it can all come back. The Holy Spirit has got so many tools to use to bring back, to help them come back to God. It's so vital, so important. James goes on to become a leader. He goes on to become a leader in the church at Jerusalem. Uh, we run across him in Acts chapter 15 where they had a problem. Paul and, the, the, and, and, and uh, Barnabas had gone out. They, the, the gospel has gone not just to the Samaritans, to the Gentiles, to everyone, which was a fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham that through him one's going to come that will be a blessing to all nations. Okay, So uh, in Acts 15, they come back, and this is kind of an issue because the Jews are having trouble you know, with giving up some of the law and understanding how Jesus fulfilled it. I mean, this is the way they've been living all their life. It's just tough. And now these Gentiles, so, so they have an issue there uh, regarding a few things. And they come back to Jerusalem to the leaders of the church, the apostles. And guess who took the lead? Not only Simon Peter, but it says in verse 13, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. And in James' reply, he helped settle dispute about law and grace. Are you following me? He helped settle dispute about prejudice and racism. He gave full acceptance to the Gentile brothers, but also gave advice on how they could keep from offending some of the Jewish brothers. It's pretty awesome. He's a leader. Uh, when Paul goes back to Jerusalem later on in Acts chapter 21, verse 18, you can look that one up. It says he meets with the elders and James. And the way it calls James out there, it seems like James must have been the leader, the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. In fact, Paul refers to him as a pillar. Uh, when talking about different issues in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, And when James and Cephas, Cephas is another name for who? Peter. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, that means pillars in the church, they perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles. So James is called out there as a leader. It's amazing what happened. But you know what, James? Ha, are you still with me? James doesn't use any of this stuff to identify himself. Just James. Isn't that cool? 
They knew who he was. You know, he'd be like, oh, by the way, you know I grew up with Jesus. He doesn't do any of that. He's not a name dropper. They knew who he was. The early church after him referred to him as James the Just. In fact, the Jewish historian in my research, you can find, and you can find this, I found Josephus, the Jewish historian, even wrote about James and even recorded about his death. That James was martyred in Jerusalem, and it's around the year A.D. 62. So this letter was probably written around A.D. 50 or somewhere in there. A.D. 62, right around there that James... And there's a couple of different stories that comes out. One that is that the Pharisees and some of the, the people staunch in the law got so tired of his witness for Christ that they got him and they threw him off the top of the temple. And that then he was beaten with rods or stones. Anyway... Tradition also tells us that like Jesus, that he died praying for his murderers, asking God to forgive them. What a guy. And as I mentioned his style. We've talked about his person. What about his style? His style is different from others too. So when you get into this, you know, this is, this is getting exciting now. Now I'm getting to where I can get in there and pull out of this what it is God wants me to have. And understanding his style will help you interpret it as well. Paul wrote in what we might call more of a Western style, more of a linear fashion. That is, he would lay a foundation, go to point A, point B, point C, and then a nice little conclusion wrap-up. Um, James, that's not his style. James' style is much more of an Eastern style, and it is more circular in its, in its, uh, in its design. That is, he will introduce a theme, he will expand on it, he'll move on, then he might return to it, add a few more details. But he, as I said, he's also very simple and concise, and he uses a lot of simple statements and one-liners, kind of like Proverbs. You can see a lot of influence of wisdom from Proverbs. His teaching centers on Jesus' teaching, and a lot of it comes from the Sermon on the Mount and Proverbs. And as I said, James doesn't beat around the bush. I'll throw a little another fact out there for you. There are 108 verses that have been divided up, how this has been divided up. That's not part of the inspired text. That was added later on. But there are 108 verses in James, and 54 of them are imperatives. That is, they are commands. Yeah, there are commands, commands. He's not asking you what you think or how you feel. He's telling you this is the way it's got to be. Do this. So anyway, what's his priority though? So we're talking about his person, his priority. Uh, the priority is this. We see it come out in this only thing that he used to identify himself. The only thing he used to identify himself, servant. Servant. Now the word is a bond slave, literally, of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that, do you not see humility and surrender? You see that there? He identifies himself as a servant. Humility and surrender, which are all parts of saving faith. There's no mention of being Jesus' half-brother. Maybe he remembered what Jesus said about real family relations. You remember what Jesus said about real family relations? He, he, in, in, in Mark, because this, this involved him, in Mark 3, 33 through 35, Jesus answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? See, they were there waiting to see him. And he said, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That's part of the real family. So I'm going to describe myself as being a servant of Jesus Christ. 
And, you know, Jesus' words about, you know, the wise man builds his house on the rock are the ones that actually do what I say. That's what he's saying here. And the whole theme that James nails down in his letter is that you need to, if you say you believe it, it needs to be happening in your life. You need to do the will of God. It's part of the theme. I know he never forgot that. But he not, he, he not only saw uh, uh, Jesus, he saw Jesus not only as Savior, but as the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a Savior, but he's the Lord Jesus. Did you see that? Look at it. We're, we're almost halfway through the verse now. Come on. <laughs> Told you, Scott, just one verse. That's all we can handle today. And servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus as Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Lord. That's so rich and that's so full. That is, he's Lord. He is my Lord. If Jesus is going to be your Savior, he also needs to be your Lord. Lord of creation. And he's the Lord of salvation. Paul told it this way. Colossians 1.15 Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible. He's a visible expression and embodiment of the invisible God. John chapter 1 verse 14 said, and the word was made flesh. That's Jesus. It says, for, for, listen to this. For by him all things were created. Did you hear that? By him. By who? Jesus. All things were created in heaven and on earth. That's the universe, folks. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. So guess what that means? James has finally realized when I was a kid and they were teaching me the Torah, when they were teaching me in Genesis how that in the beginning God said, let there be light. Are you getting this? He's Lord it was Jesus. It was Jesus. He's the creator. All things created by him, for him. Verse 17 says, and he is before. The word before there means premier, not just time, but in position. He is premier. He is above, before all things. And listen to this. In him all things hold together. We still don't know how an atom that in its nucleus has protons all in there and, and, that, that, and neutrons, that those protons, same charge, don't, you know, when you got a magnet that has the same pole, it pushes away. What keeps atoms from flying apart? We've never been able to answer that. What keeps the, the, the nucleus of atoms from flying apart, that the protons don't, don't move away from each other? Well, I know it's right here. He holds all things together. <laughs> Amen. Even down to the atomic level. But you got stuff going on in your life. You got a lot of mess going on and you have a hard time holding this and that and the other together. You need Jesus. You need more Lords. what you need. <laughs> the more messed up and complicated things are, the more I need the Lord. Because he holds things together. He's not only Lord, uh, but uh, he, 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 as Lord, he can do anything, right? He creates. Remember the little boy that came to Jesus with just a few fish or he was brought to Jesus? There was a multitude that needed to be fed. And he gave everything he had to Jesus. And Jesus not only fed the multitude, but it says they all ate and were satisfied. It was an all-you-can-eat buffet, folks. 
Yeah, and you know, I still have a problem with that. If I go to an all-you-can-eat, I feel like if I don't, if I come out of there and I could have had another bite, I've somehow lost, right? I've got to try to come out ahead on this thing if it's all-you-can-eat. But the little boy, I don't know whether the basket was all he could eat or not, but now it was because he wasn't selfish and he surrendered it. And then the disciples were busy serving and helping distribute. But you know what? Jesus not only fed them, but they had 12 takeout baskets ready for the road afterwards. Wasn't that a great story? The whole point was, in the boy's hands, it was nothing. But in the Lord's hands, because he's the Lord, it's unlimited. Same way with you. James understood that. Might be like that little boy, is that you really have no idea what you have and who you are until you give it all to Jesus. Mm. He's the Lord. But he's not only the Lord, he's the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah saves. In fact, Matthew one twenty one, the angel told Mary, uh, told Joseph, she shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Yeshua, Jesus it means the Lord saves. He's Savior. He is my Savior. He is the only one who came not only as Lord, Creator, but in human flesh, fully human. Fully God, fully human. He's the only one that can save us from our sins. He's the only one that could be our substitute on the cross and die paying for our sins. He's the only one who could perfectly identify with God and with human beings and bring the two together with his death on the cross. He is Jesus. He is Savior, and He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word Christ literally just means anointed. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. He's the anointed, the Messiah. And, what it, and it is a word that referred to the king, the coming king, the anointed king. He is Messiah. He is Christ. He is king of kings, Lord of lords. He is above all. In fact, Paul describes it this way. In 1 Timothy 6.15, he's speaking of Jesus who is the blessed and only sovereign. That's king. That's ruler. The only sovereign, only ruler. The king of kings. Lord of lords in Revelation, we see him returning as what? Sovereign, king over all, ruler, Christ, Messiah, the anointed forever and ever. If he's your Lord, Jesus Christ, then stop whining about all your trials and focus on the victory that is yours in him. That's his priority there. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But... Who do you write to? We're about done. This, goes, this rest of it goes fast, I promise. He says to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. In the, dispersion. The, the dispersion is kind of a term that refers to the Jewish believers who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. The Romans scattered them, and it was called the dispersion. Uh, they were scattered. All right, so they're all different places. And, uh, but they had the habit of coming back to Jerusalem, you remember? Feast days, Pentecost, Passover. Many of them were there after the Passover, at Pentecost, after the resurrection. Many of them heard the gospel 
on the day of Pentecost. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, it talks about, and it lists all these, and they were all Jewish people coming from these places, but many of them had lived away for a long time, and they may have had Aramaic, they may have spoke Greek, but they spoke other languages. And the amazing thing that happened at Pentecost is they heard the gospel in their own tongue, their own language, and it lists every language. And then I think, I can't remember, it may be verse 8, it says we all hear it in our native language. And, and the Greek switches from glossa to a word that means dialect. Not only are we hearing it in our language, but in our, in our dialect. I mean, I'm hearing him say y'all. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was in their own dialect that they heard the gospel. And there were a lot of people, you got to understand, that heard the gospel and were saved in Jerusalem after Pentecost. And they went back to where that they were. And they kept getting teaching. And then later on, they got visits. And these are some of the people that he's writing to that had come to faith that way. Some of them had maybe come to faith on some of Paul's missionary journeys that were Jews that heard the gospel. Many of them may have scattered in, you remember in Acts chapter 8, after Stephen was stoned to death, the Jews that were in Jerusalem were scattered because of what? Persecution. So this is who he's, he's identifying here. And uh, we know they were believers. Why? Because he calls them brethren over and over again. And that's a term that refers to the brothers and the sisters, by the way. Um, and here's the thing. They're, bro- they're saved. But just because you're saved don't mean you don't have problems. Hmm? Because he's going to deal with some messed up stuff here. And uh, that's why we need it as well. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to expand on this. We get our little study groups tonight. But uh, are you going through trials? Anybody going through trials? Well, verses 2 and 3 has got you on that. Talks about going through trials. How about, how about you like me and you feel like you're always lacking wisdom as you're dealing with stuff? Well, he's got you there in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Uh, what about you feel like sometimes you get stuck in a pattern of sin, falling into temptation? How's that happening? Well, he's got you there in verses 13 through 15. We're not even out of chapter 1, folks. <laughs> Are you struggling about your financial situation, your social status? Back up to verse 9 in chapter 1. He talks about those kinds of things. You got anger issues. Well, in verse 20, he says, the anger of man does not produce righteous God. He, he deals with that too. You get on down into chapter 2. You struggle with prejudice, socially, racially. Well, he's going to deal with that. He's going to deal with all kinds of things and conflicts that people have, materialism, and all the way through. We'll look at it later on. He's got you covered right here. All kinds of problems that we might have. And then, that's the people, people like us. So I would say this applies to us just like it did then. Don't, don't you? And then, the purpose. Let's wind it up here. As mentioned in the beginning, one of the key themes is in verse 4 as well as verse 22. And it's all about growing into spiritual maturity. About being whole. It's been said this, too many churches are playpens for babies Instead of workshops for adults. That's true. James is big on being real. He gets real about getting real. Doesn't waste words. And he tells us it's time to grow up in the faith. And to have a real faith. Not just a faith you going around talking about. But a faith that actually shows up in the choices you make. And the actions you take. He's concerned, watch me, he's concerned with function, not theory. He's concerned with walk, not talk. 
He's concerned with production, not just profession. He's concerned with demonstration, not just declaration. He wants to see duty fulfilled, not just doctrine talked about. That's what James is about. All right, you ready to take it home now? All right, let's, let's not leave it here. Let's take it with us. So he's asking us, and this is what we're going to be dealing with, is your faith working? Is your faith real? Because real faith is going to produce action in your life. Are you growing? And you know, this is the interesting thing about it. It doesn't matter who you are, how long you've been, in the, in, been a believer. It doesn't matter how much you've studied, whether you're a pastor or whether you're what. At the moment you stop growing, you don't plateau. You start falling away. At any minute I stop growing closer to him and, and being nourished in his word, I start drifting from God and back just to my own natural self. So I have to ask myself, am I growing this week? Am I growing today? So this is what he's interested in. James isn't interested in about arguing if you agree with him. What he wants to know is that he wants you to know that what you say means nothing if you're not living differently. What you say you believe means nothing if you're not living differently. And God has pledged his power to help us. But we've got to submit and trust him. And that's where real faith works. That's what we're going to see. God help us. Amen. Let's pray. Father.